0: All right. Well, we are continuing... study in, or on the assembly of God's people. We uh, started on the, uh, at the end of looking at praise. And then we looked at Psalms that said praise Him in the assembly, and we went on from there into the assembling of God's people. And to Him we looked at the um, first mention which would, I believe, be Exodus chapter 12. And it had to do with the whole assembly slaying the Passover lamb. And the context of which the concept of the assembly of God's people is introduced in Scripture has to do with redemption, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for sins. So that's undergirding. And then we saw that in the various feasts uh, that were laid out, the Feast of uh, Passover, The Feast of Pentecost, or Feast of Weeks as it's known. And Ingathering, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Three things there. The Feast of uh, Passover would speak of uh, redemption. The uh, Feast of Pentecost was when the law was given, the Word of God. And in the New Testament, the Holy Ghost. It's the Word of God. And the Feast of Tabernacles, strangers and pilgrims, uh, Christian living. So those three elements... Are our themes for the assembly of God's people? Uh, The distinguishing feature we looked at um, is God's presence, and the Word of God is what we'll look at today. Uh, Later, we can look at some of the details of the assembly and other types of assembly. We're looking at, you know, Lord's Day assembly. There are other types of assembly. For example, I mean, I don't even want to mention it, and it's not something that we have among us. It would be quite academic. But uh, the whole concept of, you know, judging if you have matters pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Or the case, you know, where uh, there was a church discipline, and, um, you know, after two or three witnesses, then you tell it to the church. So that would be, the whole church would be assembled for that. So there are other types of assembly. We are looking at, uh, the assembly of God's people for worship, for meeting with God. We saw that in Exodus chapter uh, 20. Um, <clears throat> so Deuteronomy chapter 10, we looked at, that reflects on Exodus 20. And he, um, Moses there mentions how God spoke to the people. We looked at, um, we're just reviewing where we're up to. We looked at a case study in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 6 to 11. Everyone was in groups analyzing, you know, what was going on in that church meeting. They met on the first day of the week. They had breaking of bread. Um, There was a need and there was prayer. There was much preaching in the Word of God. Um, And the whole church was together for the Lord's Supper. We looked at 1 Corinthians 11. We also looked at Matthew 26. Um, where they examine themselves, you know, Lord, is it I? So there was self-examination. We looked at the nature of that self-examination, which was to see, were we faithful disciples or were they traitors? That was the 12. Paul extends that in 1 Corinthians 11. And now with Christ being um, ascended, the self-examination and the test of loyalty to be Christ would be our attitude and treatment of God's people. And the Corinthians were very indifferent. Uh, They despised the church of God, shamed those that had not. And so there was judgment for that. And so that's the examination of the Christians. Not, you know, how's my quiet time been this week and therefore I'm abstaining from communion. It's not like that at all. The basis of the self-examination. And that's how we left our first session was on the Lord's Supper and self-examination. The second session, which was last time, we looked at Exodus chapters 19 and 20. Chapter 19 was preparation. Sanctify yourself, consecrate yourself, be prepared, and come to a meeting holy, expecting God to move. That was a key thing to observe. And then in in chapter 20, we looked at um, those elements that were there under the Old Testament... The, everything, the thunder, the lightning, and so on. And then what would carry into the new? So we looked at Hebrews 12, which reflects on that, and so we saw things like reverence and godly fear, um, and uh, you know, meeting with God, uh, inspired speaking, God speaking directly to his people, the manifest presence of God. These are things that belong to the assembly, the presence of God, and the, uh, the Word of God. <clears throat> um, but that we can't presume upon, that we expect if we are a consecrated people, sanctified people, um, earnestly seeking the Lord. So we come, we come uh, with preparation, with consecration, sanctification, and with joyful expectation. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Right? And we approach meeting with godly fear and reverence. So, the distinct and manifest presence of God is a particular feature of a proper Christian assembly. And in that assembly, God speaks to his people. This is, remember, we are seeking as Christians to rediscover biblical New Testament Christianity. We don't want to be presumptuous or assume or explain away. We're thankful for the blessings of God we have experience, but we want to be honest with what the land is yet to be possessed, to borrow Joshua's um, exhortation and use it as a metaphor. We notice that God set the conditions for meeting. Moses and the people didn't just make it up, right? There were boundaries set. God gave explicit commandments to Moses for the nature of preparation and for how the assembly was to be conducted. And God hasn't changed. Uh, God's people are not just to make it up, but to um, seek into the Word of God. So, in, uh, and at the end we look at three focal points then for Christian assembly. One, redemption. Under the Old Covenant, it was a Passover. Under the New, it's the Lord's Supper, which is the basis and ground for that assembly. when the disciples were gathered together to break bread and that's something that we would want to study and discuss at brothers meeting should we be breaking bread remembering the Lord's death weekly Um, there are some congregations that do that has a long history in the Christian church Our backgrounds may not have had that once a month is a common thing in evangelical circles and so on but what does the Bible say so we want to search that together So, the ground of redemption, remembering the Lord's death. Two, the presence of God. And three, the word of God. And those those are the three primary um, elements of a Christian assembly. The basis of the assembly is redemption. And therefore we're gathering together to remember Christ's death for our sins. The um, validation of the assembly is the presence of God. And the activities of the assembly, worship, and the word of God coming forth. So, in summary, the assembling of God's people should be approached with preparation, sanctification, consecration, joyful expectation. We've said that. God has promised to presence himself among his people when they thus meet. So we saw that in Exodus 20. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. In other words, we're meeting as Christ has said, not just we're doing it and slapping the name of Jesus on. You know, some people think it's like a coupon that you can use, just tag in Jesus' name on whatever you're praying or doing or saying, and now we're doing it in Jesus' name. Not at all. We see that with David, right? When David sent messengers to Nabal, he said, go to him that dwelleth in prosperity and, and say in the name of David, and he told them what to say. These messengers were sent by David and they said the words David told them to say. That's what it is to go in David's name. And so to do something in Jesus' name is to be doing what he has commanded, the way he has commanded, with the words he has commanded. And people that meet in his name are then assured of his presence. And we've seen some of the things that are expected in that. Uh, basis is redemption, as we said. In the midst of such an assembly, God speaks His word to His people. That's important. Right? So, the conditions need to be met. Proper, a properly prepared and sanctified people have met according to the word of God, earnestly seeking the Lord. God promises to presence Himself amongst them. They're there meeting on the base of the redemption in Christ. And... God's word is spoken in the midst. Not just the word of man, God forbid, but the word of God. So, uh, in conclusion, the, the nature and content of the Christian assembly is one of joyful, reverential worship and the ministry of the word of God. Other matters don't belong in a worship service. That would be my conclusion. I trust our conclusion from the word of God. So... That's a review of where we've been at. So, let us continue in the study of the Christian Assembly, part three. Three activities that we see, the Lord's Supper, praise and worship, and the bringing forth of the Word of God. Now, that has many um, manifestations, right? Paul outlines them, prophecy, and um, word of wisdom, tongues, knowledge, and so on. But also preaching. We saw that in Acts chapter 20. Paul preached a long time. And I would um, submit that the, the, uh, the backdrop, the default in the scriptures. Old and new covenants is the uh, ministry and exposition of the scriptures as the basis for all other um, speaking in the church. Whether prayer or prophecy or so on, the, the backdrop and the foundation is the continual preaching and reading and preaching and expounding of the Word of God. The key feature is the presence of Christ. Let's look then at the ministry of the Word of God. And let's look at some uh, Old Testament examples. We looked at Exodus chapter 20. We'll um, briefly go there again. Just looking at two verses in particular to reiterate that. Exodus chapter 20. So the passage would be verses 1 to 22, but we're just going to look at verses 1 and 22. God spake all these words, saying, and then he got the Ten Commandments, right? This is when they're all gathered at the Mount. And at the end of the Ten Commandments, the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. This is a second assembly. First assembly was redemption, the Passover. The second assembly is the speaking of the Word of God. God speaks. It's the Old Testament example. We can see another example. Um, how to pick them? But uh, Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. <clears throat> Just introducing our subject here. Uh, and verses 1 to 19, we see a situation where the Old Testament church, the congregation of the Lord, the people of God, now this is long past the kingdom of David being established and the kingdom of Solomon. So the, it's now a kingdom with a, a human king representing the, the king of kings. came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon... And with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. He was one of what are called the good kings. He seeked the Lord. He feared the Lord. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying there cometh a great multitude against thee from uh, beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold they be in uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hazazan Tamar which is in Engadi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So we have to understand that the Old Testament is one congregation. It's the whole nation. That they were all expected to attend Passover in Jerusalem. They're all expected to gather in one place. And so it's not like um, a church situation Where you will have local congregations, one city to the next. So the entire nation would be representative of a local church in that, uh, in many of the examples, in any case. And so here there was a crisis, and the entire congregation gathered themselves, right? Judah, this is a divided kingdom, and uh, I don't, off the top of my head, remember, I don't think. I don't remember where Samaria is at. Remember the captivity happened in stages. um, And Judah being, and Jerusalem, the last to go. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Right? Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court. So they're all gathered there. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen. And he begins his prayer. He acknowledges the greatness of God. And he reminds God of the covenant. And then he, in verse 10, right, he, he, he points out. Of course, he knows he's not telling God anything that God doesn't know. Behold the children of Ammon and Moab. And uh, they, they, are, um, they reward us. They come to cast us out of thy possession. O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Forgive me, brethren, I don't intend this to be unkind. I just want to point our attention to it. There was no children's church. Everybody was there. Our little children are capable of much more than we think. Right? So they, um, they need to be brought up. It's good for them to be there. Can, can I say, just underscore this, right? Children are children. We need to protect them from some things. But our little ones were at uh, this funeral for my mother in law recently. They saw her when she was perished. These are the realities of life. And children need to grow up. And there the children were. What the children saw was a crisis. In um, they saw a crisis in the nation. They saw the king gather the nation together, and they made their prayer to God. This is good for children. They should be there. Yes, it can be boring and long for them, but they, it's good for them to learn from their young years to have reverence and to control themselves, and to have uh, the fear of God. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So they've assembled, they have, um, they're seeking the Lord, which implies that they had consecrated themselves and sanctified themselves and had come prepared with a soberness of mind and an earnestness of heart. Verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of jaiel the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asa, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And he goes on. "Uh, Ye shall not uh, need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell below, before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. All right? So there's a, there's a need and the people all assemble themselves together. And uh, <clears throat> they, um, they pray earnestly. And God answers them. In real time. Gift of prophecy. Manifest. And the people's response to the word of God is to worship. There's faith. They believed in the Lord. They worshipped him. Being an Old Testament prophet. Uh, um, Structure, they had their choir, the Levites sang praises. Right? This is the assembly of God, meeting. And we observe these things, and it is a shame if we think that this is, you know, um, not to be expected. Right? Jehoshaphat expected this. You say, well, that was a time of revival. Yeah, revival from what? Idolatry. There should never be idolatry. This should have been the thing, <clears throat> and so it was. This is, um, this is not something that should be an isolated incident. That's the point. And Ezekiel says this. Uh, Ezekiel chapter uh, thirteen, as a prophet, it was normative that this is the the way the um, Old Testament church meeting would go. Ezekiel chapter thirteen. Now this is judgment. Um, Right? Verse 7, Ezekiel chapter 13. Have you not seen a vain vision? And have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken. So he's addressing false prophets. But let's observe what's going on. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I'm against you, saith the Lord God. And mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So what you have was false prophets and they're being judged. But the context then is they're going to be not allowed to have the normal things. The normal thing was to have the prophets in the assembly. Speaking the word of God by the Spirit of God. We just read about it in 2 Chronicles. That was not an unusual thing. That was to be the normative thing. And you can see it in the life of David. He sought the Lord, the Lord answered him. So the presence of God in the midst of the people. And God speaking in real time according to the needs of the people. That is a normative feature of the assembly of God's people. It's something to be expected, but the people of God need to gather appropriately, uh, earnestly seeking the Lord. um, I heard one one man say, casual Christianity breeds casualties, right? Uh, We need to come with due preparation and due consecration and so on. Those are Old Testament examples, <clears throat> but we noticed there, there was to be expected prophets in the midst. Let's look at some New Testament examples, shall we? Um, and why don't, uh, how are we all feeling? Feeling sleepy after? Um, why don't we have some, uh, some um, uh, study and discussion and let's look for what's going on. Acts chapter 2. These are the scripture references we're going to look at, I think. Uh, we have a number, so we can get into some uh, some teams here. Uh, we're kind of stuck for brothers. Sister Helen's lost. Uh, you know brother your husband is? He's still outside. He's taking up with something. All right, so we have... Numerically, this is getting kind of heavy, but uh, uh, we'll just do two camps. So, however, I mean, we could just keep families together. So, maybe we'll have uh, why don't we have the Peter's family go that way and the Benderese family go that way? We'll have two groups and we're going to study out these scriptures and come up with elements. All right? So, somebody, jot down these passages, please. Somebody from each group. You can just appoint yourself. We've got a notepad going there. Do we have a notepad going over here? Very good. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 and 14. You can read some of the other verses, but these are the key ones. And then Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 29. And with that, chapter 21, verses 4 and 10 to 14. And then Acts chapter 10, verses 25 to 33. Right? Because we already looked in depth at Acts chapter 20, where um, a young man, Eutychus I think, fell out the window and died. These are other examples and references to church meeting in the book of Acts. So what we want to do as we are on a path of discovery of what was a New Testament church meeting like uh, limiting our study to the Bible rather than studying extra-biblical texts that would describe for us what a synagogue service would look like and then assume that that's what the early church meeting would look like. I mean, it's reasonable, but we want to be Bible students. So look through those passages, bearing in mind what we've already discovered, and identify features of Christian assembly. All right. Based on these passages, go. Take some time to do that. Storm, you can pick a side, count heads, and see where you're going to be most needed. Let's uh, let's take some time and do that. <clears throat> Do we understand the assignment? Yeah. Nods. No. Well, let's. Re- yes or no. Okay. Good. Let's go. All right. It's simply to read those passages, and what we're looking for are evidences of what their church meetings were like. You can refer back to the meeting in Acts chapter 20, if that would help. But we've already looked through that. And we're looking at these as well. Um, Acts chapter 10, it's not properly a church meeting. That's Cornelius and his company, but it's just some of them might just have one detail. But we're trying to piece together a normal Christian assembly from the Scriptures. Okay. All right. Well, at some point, we're going to, you know, lower the guillotine. Why don't we, uh, why don't we discuss it together? But isn't it good, brethren, to discuss the scriptures together in a common path of discovery rather than coming with dogmatic preconceived conclusions to clash? It's so much better to um, search the scriptures together uh, with um, a common cause. Yeah, that's Beautiful. Acts chapter 2. Let's do them in the sequence that we laid them out. Uh, Verses 1 to 4 and 14. Remember, those were the ones I presented, but I didn't stop you from reading any others. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we get some context of the setting and what was going on. Everyone heard. And they were mocking. Uh, And then, not the the Christians, uh, some of the spectators. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Now, you could stop there. Spoon feed you. Or you could keep going and leapfrog down to, to uh, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. And on the same day they were added uh, unto them about 3,000 souls. You could have read those things. I don't know if you did or not. Um, to identify what happened. This was the first... Full New Testament church meeting. The inauguration of the church. The Holy Ghost was given. Um, The attendees. uh, All left different. The. um, The. uh, Disciples of the Lord. Received the Holy Ghost. Were transformed. And. Then uh, they were new converts. But what kinds of things can we take away. From this. As um, things that would be uh, important in a Christian church meeting, Christian assembly, what kinds of things do we see here? We can have one.. Yeah, tell. They were all together, so everyone was present. That's important. Um, does church attendance matter? It wasn't a zoom meeting, yeah, yeah, we're not going back to that, eh, brethren? We learned something. But um, everybody that was continuously meeting together was there. They were all together with one accord in one place, right? So everyone was there. That's important. Was, would diminished attendance have impacted? Now, I, I understand that's difficult to do because this was the day of Pentecost. God was working to his own timetable, which he had laid out, feasts, right? Christ was crucified on Passover, that was by the foreknowledge of God. The Holy Ghost was going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. So I realize that we can't deal in ifs uh, with any kind of certainty or consistency, but in principle, in principle, having gone through that, now the day of Pentecost has come, would a diminished attendance, could we reasonably think that if 50 percent of the people were absent, it could have had an impact on, on the meeting? I don't know that we could be dogmatic, but I would think it's certainly reasonable, is why did the Holy Ghost inspire Luke to write they were all in one place? It's important. To remove from wherever you are and gather with the brethren. That's important. So that's one. They were all together. What do you have over here? Do you have something else? Okay, same purpose. So there was unity, one accord. So they're all together in body and heart and mind. Would a bunch of discordant, division, divisiveness, enmity, conflict, disagreement, would that have impacted the outcome? Yeah, negatively. Negatively. Um, Again, we understand the foreknowledge of God, the giving of the Holy Ghost, but this is not the only time they experienced an outpouring, there are other times that we could see as well. In fact, I don't think I I wrote that one down, I thought I did, but I didn't, we can look at it later. All right, so we've got um, high attendance, in fact full attendance, and um, unity. What else? What else did we see?
1: I but also for each person
0: seeking Okay. Okay. So. So Abe is is underlining the nature of the unity. It wasn't just a group think. What you had was an assembly of individuals who were each for themselves seeking God and there with the same purpose. Which is different from just a hold hand kumbaya kind of feel good session. So Abe is underscoring and and, uh, zooming in on the nature of that one accord, one purpose. It's implied, right? One accord. They were, each one there had a mind to seek the Lord. Everyone? Was moved in utterance. Everyone, was moved in utterance. everyone was moved in utterance. Yes, okay. So, now, while we're on that, why? And they spake, is that, am I misremembering? Let's see. They were all, let's read. Let's read verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, uh, nobody held back, but nobody made it up. Um, If the Spirit had only given five of them utterance, then that's what would have happened, I trust. So, I think it is significant, everybody... But we need to recognize that nobody was making it up. Because I've seen that. Some of you, I don't know what your experiences have been. In my young years, you know, I've been in, in seeking the Lord. And you hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that, is, that is a reality in scripture. That some have a doctrine. And, and that doctrine can can hinder as much as it can help. And so there you are, you know. And you're, you're trying to get. They were trying to get this um, person speaking in tongues. You know. And they're just, it's intense and. Say the first thing that comes into your head, you know, start saying what you've got to look, that's just nonsense. Where's that in the scripture? You don't have to coax and cajole. I I remember one man sharing his experience of that and uh, I think it was him talking first person. And so they were praying and shaking him and said, say the first thing that comes into your head. And he said, egg and chips, he was English. I think you're in the flesh, brother. Can you believe it? That's what they said? I think you're in the flesh. They were all in the flesh. (laughs) So so what do you expect, you know? Some have said, you know, start saying banana backwards. They're trying to get the tongues going, you know. um, Crazy. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance, right? So we don't want to be a people that just make things up. And the pressure. Uh, I think I shared, you know, when the Toronto blessing was a thing. I don't want to say much about it except... Test everything by the scriptures. And friends, I would submit to you that nowhere in the scriptures can you justify Christian people clocking in the spirit. And the leader of the meeting saying, friends, the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself as a chicken tonight. Like that is not a biblical thing and no Christian assembly ought to be doing it. And that's all I'll say on that. But you'd see people lining up and they're trying to do this spiritual thing and it's working for him, it's working for her, it should be working for me. And there's this pressure to perform that can go. There's nothing like that in the kingdom of God, all right? We want to be far from those things. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned Toronto anyway, I don't want to slag anybody. But that is, um, that is where I was, observing those things. People trying to sway, you know, and you can see one person looking out of the corner of their eye to see if, They were doing it right. And and that's not to say that nobody there got anything from God. I'm just observing that you don't want people trying to fake something. Right? Our business is to believe on the Lord Jesus with all our hearts. Our business is the obedience of faith in response to the word of God. Specific manifestations are God's prerogative. We don't impose them on others, we don't impose them on ourselves. You just love the Lord and believe in Him, right? And trust Him and expect Him to do what He's said He would do. So, just say that. So, uh, got everyone was there. We've talked about one purpose. Abe has underlined for us the the um, nature of that unity. It was an individual. It was a, an assembly of individuals that were, had the common purpose. Storm points out that they they all spake with. They were all given utterance. Anything else do we have over here? We're going 1-1, you know, until we run out. Tom? Tom has one there? Go
1: ahead.
0: Okay. Okay, so they weren't watching the clock. Or the candle burned down, you know. And I think that's how they had them, candles with little divisions. Okay, so there was they weren't uh, they weren't watching the clock um it's not as doesn't say that explicitly but you can you you wouldn't find everything about the passage indicates that uh, they were there to seek god not to do a duty and get it over with very good matthew conrad nathan one of you brothers no so there was a message okay so they were all filled with the Spirit, but there was preaching as well. So there was a lot of utterance. Everyone spoke. But there was also designated by God preacher who preached. Excellent. Preached by the Spirit. Abe, you were going to say something, earlier? Okay. Anointed preaching. Excellent. And if we had read ahead in the textbook, which is fine to do, you all give him permission. There were conversions. There was response. Changed lives through that anointed preaching. There were uh, there was uh, repentance. There was response. There was baptism. So, change lives. Uh, now, this was how the church was inaugurated. Now, we start in chapter two. Remember, in Exodus, we saw that consecration, preparation, sanctification, expectation. While we're doing our, you know, alliterations that they teach in both teachers' college. Well, they don't teach so much in teachers' college, but in preacher's college, which I never went to. Thank the Lord. Uh, Some people it does them good. I think it would have made me worse than I am already. Uh, But, were these people prepared? They were in the temple daily. They were praying. Right? So, those same conditions were here. These were a prepared, seeking people. They were set apart unto it. They were given to prayer, seeking the Lord. In fact, they had a different kind of church meeting uh, previously to that, where they had an ordination. And we'll look at that uh, another time. So the same conditions. They, they didn't just show up. They were prepared, earnest, and seeking. Uh, so, so these are instructive to us. Uh, let the heart of them rejoice at seek the Lord. Um, knock until you receive. If we come, right, let's, and praise God if we do this, but if if we all were stirred by what we see in the scriptures, and our lives were changed such that our next church meeting, we were more earnest, more consecrated, seeking the Lord, have ordered our lives to, to really come to meeting with expectation. Suppose we all did that, next Lord's Day, and the meeting was no different what should our response be? Right, right? Keep at it. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. If we're seeking the Lord for more, we don't give it all we've got once and say, oh, well, that didn't work, you know. Whatever were we thinking, you know. The status quo is really all there is and let's not get too intense about this. Like, that's that's not how to go on with God. So, we'll uh, just... Point that so we're looking at these things very good. Uh, Acts chapter 11. As we do, uh, there are folks with uh babies as well. And uh, I don't think I've I would uh, I mean, who knows? I've never tried, but I don't suppose I would uh, do an eight hour sermon. I went, I, I, I. Shortened a sermon to three hours in Niagara once. Some of my family were there for that. You know, I thought I could stuff the whole thing into two hours. It was a big subject. And at three, I just abandoned. It was 11 o'clock at night. Corny had just taken the clock off the wall, said, You know, forget the clock, but you did have little children falling asleep, and we had to be back in church the next morning. Uh, so we do want to be considerate and think about uh, time on a weekly basis. Chapter 11. Verses 27 to 29. So we have Agabus. Um, Agabus, uh, signified by the Spirit, there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So Luke is telling us what happened, and then he adds, oh, and by the way, it happened later. And the disciples responded. Now, I put this in here just to get us thinking. It's good to exercise ourselves to think, right? We want to have this habit, whatever our gifting is, and and, uh, be pondering the word. Do we know for sure that Agabus prophesied in a church meeting? See? It doesn't say that, does it? Now, it would be a reasonable thing to suppose that because everybody responded. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief. So, it's possible that this was a... Or did they spread the word? We don't know with certainty, and so we shouldn't be, I don't think, dogmatic. Right? And I put that in there just for us to consider. Hmm. How much information is really given here? Um... But leaving that aside, because church life, the assembly of the Lord, the congregation of the Lord, is not only when we're assembled together, what happened there? Right? What are the features? What did we get from that? Matthew? Okay, so there, excellent. Verse 26. Um, came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So um, we do have the church being assembled and much people taught. And so in that context, they stood up. And there's another one. He stood up, you know, you wouldn't expect that in just a room full of five people. And signified by the Spirit. So that's strong evidence that it was a church meeting. Very good, very good. Right, um, Agabus. We'll meet Agabus later in this in the book of Acts as well. What do we see going on there? So, verse twenty-six uh, is where we started. Now, they believed him. So, Agabus was was that. So everyone recognized that this was a gift of God in Brother Agabus. Excellent. Right, okay, so from what I've read about the economy and geography of the time, when you have, um, now there's two opinions on that, on what's going on, Um, that... The world, the use of the word world there, meant the Jewish world. In other words, the land of of Israel. Uh, That's one opinion. Uh, The other is just a a fact that when there was a famine, um, because of the trade routes and so on, um, Judea, Israel, rather, was was hit the worst. And Judea was hit the worst, just how things were with the trade routes. So, in either case... um, the fact is that the disciples uh, in Judea were going to be the hardest hit by this economic crisis, and so the brethren there were sending relief, and Paul and Barnabas uh, did it. Interesting that they would send, um, you know, church leaders on a mission like that—not not not church deacons. So that's I don't. And by the way, I don't want anything to do with church money, so that's just a. Personal uh, thing, isn't it? but I, I've always noted even they laid the money at the apostles' feet. It's just strange to me because um, the apostles didn't want the money. <laughs> yes. So, question in my mind it was um, the dirt didn't happen, and then the prophet spoke. It,
1: it, in my mind, I always thought that there was no dirt. Then the prophet said that there would be. A dirt.
0: That's right. So they just. Eat, and the That's, right. Eat. That's right. <laughs> That's right. They hadn't seen it, they they were warned of it, and so they had, and I really had wished, I really wished that we had had a brother or two with a gift of prophecy before this whole government response to the COVID fiasco. That would have been such a blessing. We would have probably saved ourselves a lot of grief and disruptions and divisions if there had been one or two like that. Well, that's another story, right? So, how well-known Agabus was. But there certainly was a general trust and a discernment in those days amongst them. You could discern the true from the false, evidently. And they had an open-hearted trust with one another. That was beautiful. So, this is a body functioning as it should. Uh, nobody seemed. There's no evidence of people being jealous or wanting preeminence um, Paul and Barnabas weren't like, should have, been, should have been us prophesying that. You, you know, there was none of that, right? Agabus, it, when we meet him, uh, you know, eight or so chapters later, eight or nine, he's still a prophet. He's not moving up the ranks to become an apostle. He's not an ambitious man. Yes, Matthew. Go ahead. Yeah, Nathan, you're on the spot. All of your comments, okay. Okay. I was saying that I might be
1: kind of off topic here, but it just seems interesting that the prophets often seem to be coming from
0: another city. Okay. Okay, so that's a very interesting point. Yeah, and you might be... But it is that way. And God graciously accommodated them. Okay, so Nathan's point, that's excellent, is that because of the Lord's words, right? And the Lord was not speaking something into being. He was observing how people are. A prophet is not without honor except amongst his own, right? His own kindred, his own... And perhaps his own church. So if there had been a prophet among them... It's possible that he wouldn't have been as believed. Through familiarity and so on. And so Agabus... um, You notice Agabus wasn't in Judea prophesying. Mind you, the Judeans were the ones needing the relief. Uh, Agabus came uh, from Jerusalem. There are prophets coming from Jerusalem unto Antioch. This is very interesting. Right? So God in the overall kingdom... uh, I uh, would conclude... Moving these prophets to go and travel and then prophesy so that um, the rest of the body could respond and meet the need. Send the relief back to Judea. So cynical unbelievers look at this and say, yeah, they were just milking the people, you know, just like the charlatans on TV. But that's not our problem. Um, Those that have tasted of the powers of the world to come have no trouble seeing what was going on here and the purity of that. So, uh, there needed to be an out-of-town prophet. But there's no sense, either way, that Paul or Barnabas felt upstaged. Or any of the other teachers, you know. They didn't feel... It wasn't disruptive. It's just a a larger kingdom. Um, But discernment's needed, right? Later we'll see the Corinthian church was infested or infiltrated by false prophets. So... It's not discernment to the wind, but these were known brothers, evidently, and perhaps they came with letters of commendation from James and the other apostles, right? We don't know that with certainty. That is a practice Paul alludes to in writing to the Corinthians, but certainly they were received and trusted. Very good. Any, anything else? Yes.
1: Hmm. Uh, Whereas if the new foundation is that you specifically due to this applies to so-called, it could be a temptation to, to hesitate.
0: Right. Right. Yes, so that would underline what Nathan was saying is that there is um, the liberty that uh, someone from the outside is not distracted uh, by uh, a knowledge of what's going on and is not dismissed or suspected of deliberately targeting individuals. Yeah, so that's very good. Um, it's coming in from the outside. Now, that's not... Uh, that is a, a useful application. It's an, obviously, it's not what's in view here, but you're still ex- looking at principles. So, anything else on these passages here? We're noticing that there is, that the function of the assembly is not limited to local members. Yes? Um, I'm not sure if they signify it
1: by the Spirit. I don't you can clarify
0: Um, right, so he wasn't just saying, you know, brothers, I've been reading, I've been on the internet, and I've been, you know, I follow this YouTube channel, and, and this, there's this economic guy, and I really think we're in for a hard time. I mean, that's been pretty well the level I've been at. Uh, I mean, not necessarily YouTube, but doing my best to make sense of what's going on. I've never claimed that I have any prophetic insight into what has been going on, nationally or globally in the last uh, three-ish years, four years. I've done my best to use the understanding I have, the intelligence God's given me, to try and make some sense and give some guidance. Um, But that is different from prophecy. And Agabus had revelation, and he spoke as by the Spirit. Thus saith the Lord. What the specific details are is not relevant, right? So yeah, he was speaking, thus saith the Holy Ghost, not his best understanding. Yeah. Yeah, so the people either um, had a, a clear witness that this was of the Lord. Or sufficient trust that they would have accepted it. Because Agabus presented it as a word from the Lord. Not just his best, uh, best guess. Right? And brethren, it's important to distinguish when we talk to people. That we don't try and over credentialize uh, something. You know, like this is my best understanding of the scripture versus I believe God put this on my heart. Those are two different um, statements of w- versus you know, thus saith the Lord, which is a higher level. So we want to discern within ourselves what's going on. And that doesn't mean that your best understanding can't be used of the Lord. That might be indeed Inspired in the spirit of the Lord. But we can only express from the knowledge that we. Of the awareness that we have. Peter talked about seeing Cornelius and them filled with the spirit. And he says. Then I remembered the words of the Lord. He doesn't say the spirit told me though. Or brought it to me. He said then I. And we can judge for ourselves. Whether that recollection was of God. So it's very important for us to not overstate. Um, what we're saying. Yes, brother. some of they Right. Okay. it's possible that they
1: were strangers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they're sending back to, um, they're sending back to Judea but yeah, they, many of them would have been strangers. Gentiles there. No connection at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, the comment for those listening to the recording later was that um, everyone gave according to their ability. And some might not have been able to give much. And some of them wouldn't have known anybody in Judea. But they had that response to help and to bless. So... In terms of the assembly and local church meeting, one of the things we can see there, um, Agabus stood up. Um, I don't imagine that was disruptive, but it does seem like there was some spontaneity in it. Peter, stood. we saw that in Acts chapter 4, that it was spirit-led and yet non-disruptive. It may not have been in the, quote, expected order of service. There was no um, self-aggrandizement in it. And that um, believers from outside the local body were uh, able to participate in the meeting in a highly influential way. Uh, um, it doesn't, it's, it's, would be reasonable to uh, conclude or deduce from verses 27 to 28 that they had been among them at least for a couple of meetings, right? There came from Jerusalem uh, prophets, right? Uh, unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. It could have been this the next day at meeting, but it could just as well have been. They're there for a while, a week or two or three, and they're known and received into fellowship. They've been examined as faithful brethren. If they came with letters of commendation, those have been read, and the Spirit of the Lord moves them in prophecy. So those would be Reasonable things, but they they were participating in church meeting. Anything more to add from that before we go to chapter 21? All right, chapter 21, verse 4 finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And then verses 10 to 14, we tarried there. So, new place now, Caesarea, I think. We tarried there many days. As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What mean ye to weep, weep Excuse me, and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. Okay, so I'll do a bit of preemptive on this. In terms of the history and the chronology, the way I would understand these passages is that in verse 4... The disciples said to Paul, through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. And so he didn't. We accomplished those days. We went our way, took ship, and uh, they came to Caesarea. And verse 10, as we tarried there many days. So he obeyed. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't say stay here. It says don't go to Jerusalem. So he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to Caesarea and waited for further instructions from God. Then, after many days, Agabus came and prophesied that this is what would happen. The Jews in Jerusalem are going to bind this man. Some evidently wanted to take that as a warning. Don't go, Paul. Paul took it as a, you're going and you're going to to torment. That's what's coming. Um... Paul had already said to the Ephesians. I don't know what things shall befall me. Except that the Holy Ghost witnesses. That in every city bonds and affliction abide me. So Paul knew. Paul understood. Yes go to Jerusalem. And it's not going to go well. So there was no contradiction. In the prophecies here. Right. Um, so let's not get distracted by that. Paul was obedient to both sets of prophecies. Um, What is going on? Verse 4. Finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. That's all we've got on the the church um, at Tyre, I think. Any observations on that? That's all. We um, assume that was a church meeting, that that word came forth. yes well that's that'll be in verse 10 but we're in verse 4 before he gets to Caesarea yeah so hold that thought we'll come back to it what's going on in verse 4 church meeting All right. well I'll offer were you going to say something Anthony yeah, so they, they, they found church meeting and they went. But it says here, they finding disciples, plural, we tarried seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. It sounds to me like there's one, more than one person that God gave this message. So it sounds like the whole, the, the whole group or a substantial portion of it was given a message for Paul. So that's an interesting thing to see. We see that elsewhere. They lift up their voice to God with one accord. Uh, That the Spirit of the Lord can put the same message on many hearts in assembly at the same time. Without prior consultation. And we'll see that in 1 Corinthians 14. Which I don't think we'll get to today. And we'll look at that next time. we spent... uh, Okay, verse, uh, verse 10... As we tarried there many days, there came down this prophet from Agabus, and he took Paul's girdle, and he bound himself, and so on. You were going to say something on that, Dave? So, he comes to the, the Agabus again. I don't
1: know if he's, not that's his whole house, But Philip comes to his house, and the thing is he's got daughters and pops up. Yeah.
0: Okay, so um, the, the question is, why didn't Philip's daughters prophesy this instead of it needing to be Agabus? That's a right, because we already know that these girls prophesied. Um, is it the, the out-of-town element? Is it uh, something we'll read about later in 1 Corinthians? Each prophesying according to the proportion of faith. Did it have to do with the fact that they were sisters and there was a limit on their ministry as women? That they shouldn't be, that the Lord wasn't giving them words, although he did to Mary Magdalene. Say, go and tell them that I'm risen and I'm going to Galilee. So the Lord wasn't, didn't mind telling the men apostles what to do through a female messenger. So there's that. Um, but it could be that um, they were prophesying according to proportion of faith and they didn't have that level of prophecy to be able to speak so confidently into his life. Their prophecies may have been of a more generic nature. Um, their prophecies may have been more praise to God rather than foretelling the future. We don't know with certainty. Uh, it could have been their youth, that they, um, the fact that they were... Uh, Much younger, may have detracted from the validity. I don't know. I can only speculate. Um, Agabus is alone this time. God seems to be having Agabus follow Paul around a bit and give him a word from the Lord. Um, Agabus had a very classical Jewish methodology. He used drama. He could have just spoken, but he gets Paul's girdle and instead of naming Paul, he says, right, it's an attention getting, um, so, the thing I take from that, is to not be hasty, and prejudiced, in the different, ways, God uses somebody, just because they don't, um, communicate the word, based on my paradigm, doesn't mean it's not of God, that's one of the takeaways, I glean from that, uh, Brother, ape, a little bit
1: of a line, but just the idea that a word can add to someone. There was an initial thought, and later it became more specific, but someone else came up and something that could be happening. But you were saying he actually, because the word is not going to be he actually heated up the word.
0: Yes, so that button he was waiting, so. Yeah, but they are both pieces in the puzzle of Paul's life. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, the the various prophecies—the one in chapter, in verse four, and now the one in verse ten—were. They worked together in the kingdom of God to direct Paul in his life. Um, So I I observed that as well, that uh, Agabus had a unique way of ministering his gift. I observed that though Paul was an apostle, God chose on numerous occasions to only communicate to him through others. There was nothing, like I'm more spiritual than you. Who are you to have the word of the Lord for me? Paul's very humble man. He's an apostle. God's already used him to raise the dead, minister healing, see people filled with the Holy Ghost, all sorts of things. And now he's waiting for God to send a brother who is younger than him in the kingdom of God to tell him what to do. And these things are good for us all. A uh, humility. None of us gets too big for ourselves. Nobody can tell us anything. Good to listen to. Younger brother sometimes. Just, I'm sure somebody will grab that one in my house and, and uh, run with it. Listen to your younger brother. Daddy said so. But uh, there's a humility involved. Yes. They all love Paul. All love Paul. Yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? They love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They're weeping. Yeah, the mutual, the affection in the kingdom of God. And they submitted, right? So human emotion submitted itself to the will of God. They ceased, saying the will of the Lord be done. So the expression of emotion is human. There wasn't wrath or, you know, there was gentle rebuke. What mean you to weep and to break my heart? He said. So they dealt with the human emotion on a human level, but at the end everybody submitted to the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, they... They had their feelings, but they, um, they knew how to bring their feelings into submission to the will of God. Yeah. So, very good. All right. Well, how are we doing? We, um, why don't we finish our exercise here and we'll leave 1 Corinthians 14 for another time. Um, Acts chapter 10. So this is not really a church meeting. It's not a church. It's Cornelius and his band. But there are principles that we can see here. Verses 25 to 33 were the ones we chose. Just to try and shorten the passage and the reading. And uh, what do we glean from that? Principles. Meeting with God. The word of God. Some of it's just repetition. Were these people... Very well prepared to meet with God. Cornelius and his company. Where's the verse for that? What verse? The whole account was an answer to Cornelius' prayer. prayer. Um, Look at verse 33. Immediately therefore I sent to thee and thou hast well done. Hey, how about that? Encouraging the preacher. Well done. Uh, Bit of tongue in cheek there. Um, thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. They've come with an attitude to hear and obey the word of God. To Tom's point earlier, right? They weren't worried about the clock. Everyone was there early. They're waiting for the preacher and they're ready. So attitude seems to be a good predictor of outcome in things of the spirit they're gathered in expectation Um, and what happened so Matthew mentioned they were praying so there was prayer as part of the preparation they had come with an expectant attitude diligent set apart and then what happened They all sat in silence, like we're doing. Well, for, so there was a message. <laughs> so they, they prayed, they were prepared, and uh, Peter preached. There was anointed preaching, and what was the result? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're seeing this pattern repeated, right? And um, that, is, that is something I would... Uh, like to underline for us is that we should not take a defeatist attitude that, you know, well these are the times in which we live, we're not living in rival times but that uh, in the midst of it all a consecrated, earnest, prepared praying people who are persistent in prayer right? My prayers are come up for memorial the angel said to them persistent in prayer that uh, those that seek shall find um, the the Old Testament um, scripture, Ecclesiastes, right uh, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to offer the sacrifice of fools. be not hasty to utter anything before God, neither say before the angel it was an error. words like that i haven't I think it 's Ecclesiastes four the implication is that the presence of God was manifest, was there even though it wasn't manifest. The presence of God is there. And in a Christian church where you have believers gathered, Christ is there, even if there is no manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, but by a persistent, faithful, loving, earnest, unified um, pursuit of God, that presence of Christ can increase in his manifestation as God interacts with the people that he loves and wants to love and seek him. And that is the thing I would encourage us to do and to pursue, to be earnestly seeking the Lord. Let us lift our expectations higher. Let us um, seek the Lord in our private time to know him uh, more fully and personally ourselves and collectively. Lord, we really want to, to know you more. Have you? David said, this one thing have I desired the Lord. I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold the beauty of the Lord. The assembly of God's people is that for us and I would encourage us to, uh, to seek with earnestness. Uh, these people had the same flesh. They had, uh, they had minds that would some of them anyway would have been prone to wander and they wrestled with their minds to pour out their souls in prayer. They had busy lives. They had knees that ached. They had bellies that grumbled but they had hearts that pursued God and they pressed through those things consistently, persistently to seek the Lord and God blessed them. And what we read in a, in a few moments, in, in a few verses, can span days, weeks, months, years uh, of consistent pursuit of God. And let us follow uh, in the foots of the faithful. Amen. Amen. Would uh, one of the brothers want to stand and uh, commit us to prayer, Brother Dave. Commit us to the Lord in prayer, Brother Dave. Thank you.